News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel here with Christina Greer. Hello. Hi there, Harry Siegel. Hello. And Queens' own Katie Onan. Hello. Hello, hello. So, Katie, you wrote this week a story about how Barry the Owl was poisoned before Central Park truck hit her, but it's uh, it's actually grimmer and broader than, than that sad headline would suggest. And in a few minutes, we're going to be talking about that along with Robert Sullivan, uh, the author of multiple books, including Rats, Observations on the History and Habitat of the City's Most Unwanted Inhabitants. Before we get to that, let's talk for a minute about Rikers Island, which is a jail built on a landfill where a 12th inmate has reportedly died on today, Wednesday. Just as we're uh, reporting this, the, uh, the news has come out and de Blasio is very belatedly offering what he says is at least a short-term solution to what seemed like but, but the chronic and the suddenly much more severe problems there. Uh, Katie, what are you seeing in your reporting? Yeah, you know, what the mayor announced this week is what he hopes, and I think what everyone hopes, is some uh, help for Rikers Island. Um, he announced this morning on Wednesday that correction officers will no longer work triples, um, there's a plan to bring NYPD officers there and also engage with private security to uh, make up for what has been a lot of AWOL correction officers. Um, you know, we're hearing now from people on Rikers Island, incarcerated people on Rikers Island about what it's like, the health issues, the the, the lack of medical care that they're receiving. You know, when you hear about the 11th person who died on Rikers Island in there for a parole violation was an intake for, I believe, 10 days. So this is serious. It's a serious issue and it, it continues to get worse. And Mayor de Blasio continues to not visit Rikers Island, even though I'll point out it is Queens week. Um, I asked him this week, I said, you know what else is in Queens? Uh, it's you goofing off, but it's also the bridge to Rikers Island in East Elmhurst. You could clearly drive over it. Um, I know the mayor has said he'll wait to see how this plan shakes out. But that that seems to be the biggest issue, the continued biggest issue here in the city, um, the treatment of people there and and ways to improve things and, and get people who don't necessarily need to be on Rikers Island for various infractions to get them off. So, so de Blasio was getting hit for a while for having no plan. And then after these lawmakers visited earlier this week and others have since, you know, said, okay, here, here, here's what we're doing. You know, it sort of acknowledged that this is a problem. Uh, it's not just the uh, the pandemic, but as I understand it, what the police officers would be doing is basically escorting inmates when they have visits to the uh, to to court, yes. and the the corrections officers who are doing that are often the most senior, wouldn't be inside of Rikers otherwise, and uh, probably don't want to return there, or often people who are ready to pick up their pensions if they want, uh, if they're pressed to do so, and then with the private guards that this may or may not be legal uh, based on a, a 2002, I believe, law that seems to specifically exclude that. Um, like, do, do you have a sense at this point, and de Blasio is a new uh, uh, jails commissioner there who's, who's, who's you know, been a dedicated reformer sort of in his, his private life and seems to be struggling to get a hold of some of these staffing issues. 
if this uh, if this is going to amount to more than a Band-Aid, or even if the Band-Aid is on top of uh, where the bleeding is, metaphorically, or, or, or is that what we're going to find out in the, the weeks and months ahead? Yeah, I think we'll find out. Um, I don't know what the quick fix or what even the long-term fix is necessarily um, that the mayor can do right now. Uh, he's got 100 days. I think he's 100 days from today. He's out. Um, so that is that. We have 100 days left of Mayor Bill de Blasio. Um, and uh, what he does and what he decides to do in those next 100 days will queue up a lot of things we'll be talking about in 2022. So that is that. Um, that is 100 more days of Bill de Blasio. I'm sure someone somewhere is having a party um, because of that. It's not us right now. We're working, but someone is. You know, what's so interesting is that my students thought it was absolutely criminal that uh, Mayor de Blasio hadn't been to Rikers in so many years. You know, I start every class with current events, what's going on in the world, and that's everything local, state, national, international, depending on where they're from. But obviously, a lot of students, I'm encouraging them to read local papers and, you know, follow newsletters that come into their inbox because they now live in New York City, because they attend Fordham. And the fact that the mayor of New York City has not visited the largest uh, jail and all of the the deaths that have been occurring in these past few months and weeks, they they could not wrap their minds around why and how it is that this man could just ignore this particular population in such a time of crisis. Has there been a mayor that's taken ownership of Rikers or the prisons that, that, that any of you are aware of? I was doing a little looking back on this and, and struggling to find one. I actually thought Giuliani in the era when Carrick was, uh, was the corrections commissioner might be the closest to somebody sort of sort of choosing to associate themselves with what's happening in the jails, I think, in my lifetime. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I can't see Giuliani, you know, sort of doing that. I think the reason why de Blasio gets so much ire is because of what he campaigned on, the, you know, tale of two cities, because of why he asked New Yorkers to vote for him in the first place. He didn't really ask the second time because nobody was really paying attention, sadly. But the expectation of what people wanted de Blasio to do, not just in the city, but de facto with Rikers, and the utter failure to do so, um, and the ball dropping. We understand there's some NIMBY issues about putting, you know, putting jails in local neighborhoods. But, you know, when he said, okay, well, Staten Island's off the, off the, you know, the conversation, then everything kind of collapsed. And so, and then he left town and got bored with us. So I, I think that no one really expected Giuliani or even Bloomberg for that matter to move the needle. It was the fact that de Blasio essentially promised us that he would move that needle. That makes it so discouraging. A hundred days from now, we're going to have a new mayor who's promised to uh, deliver a better rat trap. And that seems like the perfect time to jump into our conversation with the uh, fascinating Robert Sullivan, the author of Rats. Let's get right to it. So, Bob, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. Um, as somebody who's spent a uh, Real time thinking about rats and in New York, I, I'd love to just get your your impressions as you were reading uh, as you were reading the Katie's story in the city about uh, Barry the owl being poisoned. Uh, uh, were you surprised? Uh, what does this point to? What did you think? Um, well, I, first of all, thank you for having me. And uh, second of all, I suppose I mean I know there there are so many people who think about rats in big ways uh, around the city, but I'm happy to. I'm, I'm always excited to talk about rats, unfortunately. But um, I read that story, and it, and it was 
of course, no, you know, great story, um, but no surprise at all. I mean, most, I think most of the, the kind of birds that are sent to the, to the state DEC, uh, it turns out, you know, birds of prey have problems with rat poison and, and all kinds of birds. And so no surprise at all, unfortunately. And I know, I think I, during the week I got a couple of weeks ago, I got a call from somebody who's a birder up in a beautiful kind of uh, park or nature preserve up in Bergen County. And they were, they were saying that their raptors were having, you know, were dying from rat poison. And so it's just, it's this, it happens all the time, sadly. This is Chrissy here. I want to thank you again for joining us. Um, I am an amateur birder. Uh, and so I, I was concerned and I want to get your thoughts because right now we're in the middle of migration season and there's so many yep. birds that are passing through New York, especially Central Park uh, every day, but it, it definitely every night. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the interaction between sort of the migratory birds and some of the rats and rat poisoning that we're seeing? Well, I mean, it, you know, as you know, as, as an amateur birder, and I'm, I'm probably even less than an amateur birder, but I'm, I'm, I sort of look at city ecology as much as I possibly can as a, just as a denizen uh, of cities. But, um, so all kinds of birds passing through, um, so many birds passing through New York. And, uh, I know, I mean, I think I was hearing, I heard the word Queens a little bit ago and Jamaica wildlife refuge. I think the bird count there, the species of birds is higher than, than um, Yellowstone and Yosemite combined. It's because we're on the Atlantic Flyway. So, you know, I guess, you know, traffic is, is sort of helpful. I mean, there's so many different kinds of birds coming through and not all of the smallest birds are, you know, going after um, carcasses of rodents. Um, so that, that's, so not every bird's going to die because of rat poison when they fly, fly through. And, and of course you're, Larger birds of prey are going to be more susceptible to eating poisoned rodents. They're not as likely to be, you know, not, not all the birds of prey are going to be on uh, on migration. But the larger point is that, you know, this is, oh gosh, I hate the word emblematic, but it's it's rising up in my in my brain. This is emblematic of just how we, um, you know, how we think about ecology and how we think about cities, but not just cities, um, just how we think about it ecology generally. And so, you know, when you put rat poison out, the most of the rat poison is going to, you know, be excreted, sorry to use that word, uh, <laughs> from the rat um, in, a, in a given, you know, any given instance. You lay out poison and only a percentage of that poison is going to actually kill the rat or is going to try to get the rat to ingest as much poison as you can. But a lot of it is going to be sent back into the system and into kind of the ecological system, into the neighborhood. So it'll join as it falls into the waterways, it'll join all the kind of um, other chemicals that we put in ourselves and in the waterways, everything from antidepressants to, um, you know, to the, to the things that pour off of pavement into, into city streets. So that, so that by, by ruining the Jamaica, Jamaica Bay wildlife refuge, by, by taking um, all of the, you know, all the stuff that rolls out um, that doesn't go into sewage treatment, that's part of the combined sewage outflow into Jamaica Bay Wildlife Refuge, which is a huge stop on the flyway. We're disabling um, all kinds of, uh, you know, wetland, uh, marsh, all kinds of salt marsh 
just destroying all kinds of habitat for all kinds of birds. But that's in the larger category of, oh, we have a problem, let's use chemicals or, or a technological fix, when really the solution to all of this is how can, have we looked closely at where at this habitat, at this environment, our environment, um, and also, are, you know, do we think of rats as, you know, as similar to us, that is, valuable creatures on, on the planet? Sometimes they have to go. But sometimes it, it just like how we treat them generally is how we treat ourselves. Bob, this is Katie. Uh, I would at, on a later date love to go back to the Jamaica Bay question because there's also lots of environmental hazards from the airport there. But what you said about rats, it's, it's so eloquent because I don't think New Yorkers think of rats in that way. I think they think of them as something that needs to not be seen or we need to get rid of them in the most toxic way possible without realizing that it then affects the animals we do like and the animals we do like to see. Um, so what are, you know, like you said, sometimes rats do have to go. And in reporting this story, I spoke to, you know, a few people, including Bobby Horvath, who's a wildlife uh, rehabilitator. And he said, look, it, it's 2021 and we just have not come up with a better way to get rid of rats, unfortunately, or trap them to keep them out of the places we don't want to see them in. Is there a sort of short-term way to fix this and then a longer term, or do we really just have to look at it holistically, how we are treating our rat population? If we do want to lessen it, how we do that in a, is humane the way? I mean, I'm thinking of Rizzo the rat from the Muppets, who I love dearly. So I don't want anything bad to happen to him. But yes, how do we look at that more holistically? Um, my favorite Muppet is the drummer Muppet. I can't remember his <laughs> name. Uh, Monster. Animal. Know the name? Animal. 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 Thank you so much. My favorite is Animal. <laughs> um, so I guess the, there's the kind of like, you know, there's the not small question, but the kind of in in your face, especially in this moment, in what, in our faces, question like, do you use rat poison for rats? Like, what do you do when you have a big, bad rat problem? Well, when you have a big, bad rat problem, you've got a really bad problem. And this is why, you know, not, you know, a lot of ecologists, like people who study rats, they're reluctant to ban rat poison because if you've got a neighborhood or a building that has a super bad rat problem, that's immediately bad for the people who are living there. Um, it's immediately bad if the rat population, for instance, um, has rat fleas that spread bubonic plague. But if you really want to see interesting, you know, work, uh, like communities taking care of themselves and taking care of the rats that have plague fleas, then there are villages in Uganda where you can go and you can see, I mean, no one can travel anywhere right now, but there are villages in Uganda where people have uh, devised these kind of rat trap stations where the, the rat climbs up a rope uh, you know, climbs up something to get at food and is dusted with a flea powder along the way. So we look really dumb as usual in terms of, uh, you know, like in, in the U.S. in terms of how we do stuff. We just don't think of, we think of nature as a separate place. This is why I wrote the rap book. This is why I wrote most of my books, trying to kind of um, maybe secretly, perhaps too secretly, um, suggest to people that maybe because um, the rap book is secretly about people. Maybe, maybe we are the same thing because we, we're, we're all creatures and we eat at the same table, essentially. Um, although we put the garbage out in the, 
in the bag that we don't want anymore for them at night. And if you were coming to um, New York from another planet, you would say, oh, they, they raise the rats like salmon. They're like salmon farms or something because they put out these plastic receptacles at night exactly when the um, nocturnal creatures arise and come out to eat. In there. So, um, so, so <laughs> the giant thing is there's no such thing as nature and non-nature. A city is natural. Humans are natural. And when we talk about animals, oh, guess what? We're kind of, we're animals too. So, you know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't use the term animals, but um, so that, that's the kind of giant thing. And then, and then once you start thinking about it that way, you think, okay, well, um, let's look at communities where rats are and, and the kind of rat infiltration or infestations have to do with all kinds of things. In Central Park, there's this incredible, um, you know, juxtaposition of kind of open green space. And I think there's been a lot of studies that there's some studies that show that like certain amounts of green space encourage rats, um, like little amounts of green space, not so many rats, a lot of green space, a lot of rats, but a kind of medium amount of green space, ton of rats. Um, so, you, but you have green space where humans come to bring their lunch and don't throw the refuse in cans or, and uh, I'll try to stop this rant uh, and I apologize, or you could actually hire people in parks to take care of trash and to, to go in and look at rat burrows and say, oh, we have a real problem here. Maybe we should use, you know, dry ice to create carbon monoxide. There's safer ways to do this. Maybe we should just lay out poison. But, but that, that requires, again, looking like, why is an infestation anywhere? And I know I was living over in Dumbo. Actually, it wasn't in Dumbo. I was, I was across the border from Dumbo. But you could go to the New York City public housing projects, like between the Navy Yard and Dumbo. The Navy houses. Huge rodent. Thank you, the Navy Yard houses. And, uh, and huge infestation there a few years ago. I haven't been there in a couple of years. Um, where they put out the trash. So you have a line down the street where one side of the line, it's like the median income was something like $280,000. And on the other side, it's in the teens thousands of dollars. One side of the street has a huge infestation of rodents and the other side doesn't. And what do you, what is the, when people, when those rats would show up on the news at 11 o'clock because somebody had rat footage, then all of a sudden the city comes in and throws poison in there. Now that's being crass and there are great workers in the city who are trying to do great work. But what if we rethought what parks were and they weren't these private enclaves that we've made them into with conservancies and so forth, where we hire a limited number of people and we fundraise. What if we hired people because they're working in spaces that we might actually call public, but that's an expansion of what we think of as city. And that's what's great about rats. It gets to expand how we think about cities. And I don't even want to get into how um, the basically the history of civil rights in northern cities is so tied to rat control um, because I'm ranting too much here. I'll stop right now. I, I, we do want you to get into that. This is your form to please rant about these things. I must point out that uh, speaking of conservancies, it was a, uh, a maintenance <clears throat> truck from the Central Park Conservancy that collided with Barry the owl and caused his death. Uh, reading Katie's story, it looks like the, the poison that was used very likely came not from the conservancy and inside the park. Although this isn't totally clear and probably can't be, you know, we're not surveilling the owls, yeah. um, but, but from one of the, uh, the buildings outside uh, that used poison speaking very quickly of surveillance, 
that that's been a yeah. sewage surveillance that, that that's been a big thing over the course of the pandemic uh because it's, it's one of the ways of actually knowing what's happening in a city and uh these systems that people aren't thinking of if you're trying to think about rats in different ways it is striking that, that we have this chronic rat problem uh always and ever so before the pandemic uh, there was a construction boom, and that was leading to a rat population explosion and more rats on the street. Uh, we had rats that washed up uh, during Ida. Yeah. And and then going back, I know some of this is in your book, like, like Rikers, which is basically built on landfill. And, you know, there used to be garbage fires there that you could actually see at night uh, from, the, from, from, from the Bronx. Uh, you know, it's totally rat infested at one point early on in its history as a prison uh, or a jail. You know, the prisoners get yep. pigs, uh, the, yep. the rats, the rats are there. The, the guards bring in dogs to hunt the rats. The dogs end up yep. slaughtering the pigs. You know, it, yep. it just, it seems like th this is a metaphor for, for, for a problem that just happens continuously. And obviously there are long-term solutions, um, as Katie was saying that, uh, you would do if you're thinking about this holistically, but the temptation in the short term is always to get this out of sight get these people out of sight, kill these rats, just remove, remove this problem. Uh, and, and, and did you see any way around that, uh, you know, sort of in the course of researching rats, thinking and writing this book or, or, or is this just essentially trying to fix human nature, uh, to, uh, to do better? Well, I think, uh, hu human nature, um, I, I, well, yeah. So I guess when you, when you talk about Rikers, for instance, um, but when you look at where, um, city houses are, are built. Um, typically like there's low, there's a history of low lying land. Um, and those, and public housing was built there in this most recent kind of, uh, crop of public housing, if you will, in, in the 1940, late forties, fifties, we put in, um, public housing on land that's not otherwise valued oftentimes right near, for instance, to the Navy yard, it's next to power plants, uh, and a, and a kind of a fading, a beginning to fade kind of industrial complex that is the Navy Yard, but that Navy Yard is built on a salt marsh. So this is swampy land. Nobody wants this. So um, there's this giant idea of, of, yeah, rethinking, like rethinking community and cities. Oh, actually the places that you revile, um, the things that you throw poison at, um, the, the reason you're doing these things is because you don't want to face how ugly many of the aspects of your alleged non-rat, you know, non-animal of community, you know, really is, um, you know, in, in the 1950s, I mean, in, in the rap book, I, I pull out news clippings from like the fifties and sixties where, um, you know, park Avenue rats, the time says, um, you know, residents sure they're coming from Harlem. Okay. So, so, there's this micro there's there's a there's a very micro fix to all this and that is um you know you fix community and you you recognize that one broken neighborhood in a city uh one hurt neighborhood um one neighborhood that's struggling to be whole and is getting no resources from the rest of the city to do that uh is is in, in is hurting the rest of the city the rest of the city is unhealthy because of that and that's the way to think about rats um it's to think that okay i've got a rat problem right in this spot why is that um i don't want people to be infected by leptospirosis uh, if the rats 
I'm sorry I'm saying this, urinate in puddles and my dog uh, plays in the puddle. I don't want my dog to die, die of kidney disease. I don't want there to be a big problem where rats spread a, a further disease, and I just don't want disgusting rats around. So you say, okay, why are they here in this park? Is it because we're not caring for this park in the right way? Is it because even though it's Central Park and it has the resources of a conservancy that is that is brilliant in doing great things with plants and so forth? I don't want to say the people in the conservancy aren't amazing, but but wait a minute. What if we thought about, you know, what if we didn't have to have conservancies? What if all the parks, um, you know, if all the parks in neighborhoods that had no economic resources were cared for and weren't just places for rat burrows, uh, and, and, you know, and they were disused, under, uh, underutilized because they had a lot of rat burrows. So I guess I'm saying that the, the, the fix I see is a super huge, yeah, turnaround of kind of our nature in forgetting, like, how do, how do we fix the human nature that tells us that the other is bad <laughs> and that, and that, you know, we're really good. Rats allow us to kind of see that, you know, right there, how the city works. They say, these things are bad. We're just going to throw these bad things at it. I don't care how bad they are. It's, it's worth it. No, no, no. Let's slow down. Let's look at the community. Why is this happening? Why is this aspect problematic? Why, why do we have rats here? Oh, it's because there's no garbage pickups it's because the landlords are, are horrible. I mean, I think in 1964, my mother was arrested in a rent strike. Um, however, she was just walking through the rent strike, but she was, I'm proud to say that she was pregnant with me and I was thrown in the back of what was then called a paddy wagon when there was, the, we were in the midst of the largest rent strike. It is thought, I, I, as far as I can tell, probably the largest rent strike in the history of, of the U.S. I know somebody fact-checked me, but I've been fact-checking myself for 20 <laughs> years and largest rent strike in the history of the U.S. in 1960s, 1964, people are out in the streets, started in Harlem and Lower East Side. Um, and it was all about rats. Bring a rat to court. Um, rat protest at City Hall. Um, they arrested slews of protesters. Um, but everybody, in, including you know people you you might not have heard of, uh, and, and people you have heard of, uh, were down at these protests, um, saying that there are rats here because the city doesn't care for certain neighborhoods. So I'm not comfortable with a forum. I realize I'm talking way too much. You shouldn't give me a forum. I'm stopping <laughs> now. You can, you can. You're great. Yeah. So Bob, this is Chrissy. I just, one, it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm super remiss that we haven't had you on FAQ uh, much sooner since your book came out. In no, it's a better show with a, with a more abbreviated guest. I apologize. For talking <laughs> no, 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 no. This is fantastic. You know, when I was listening to you, it really did make me think about Eric Adams. Uh, and I want to sort of bring in kind of the, the political and the, the kind of civil rights undertone that you seem to be talking about, not just on the podcast, but also in your book, because yeah. Uh, you know, during the campaign season, lots of people were, you know, joking. Eric Adams is drowning rats. He's talking about rats. And, and my my analysis was Eric Adams is connecting with many New Yorkers who uh, have been dealing with a rat infestation and felt ignored by the city and ignored by their elected officials uh, who didn't Absolutely. recognize or acknowledge uh, essentially what they had they had suffered uh, in the sense that their yep. kids couldn't play in particular parks or their their dogs or cats, you know, couldn't go outside or they themselves were yeah. afraid of the number of rats. Uh, back us into how you became 
the man who is willing to have rat rants. Um, and why is it that you chose rats as the symbol to talk about some the inequities that we see in New York City, but just uh, cities uh, writ large? Because it seems like you're well, doing I a mean, lot of heavy lifting uh, through, <laughs> through the, the conversation about rats, but you're talking about space. You're talking about race. You're talking about class. You're talking about uh, history, uh, movement of bodies and communities over time. How and why did you choose rats as as the vehicle to do that? I mean, I, I, I'm I'm not the man in any in any regard, and I'm I'm only the man who will do this because you are listening. Most people only want to hear. Like, typically, if like I remember when the rap book came out, I would give readings, and there'd be people who just wait in line and to tell me I should write a book about roaches. And then I'd be like, no, that yes, but I'm not, but thank you. But uh, yeah. So I don't know. That's, a, that's sort of a, that's like a, let's see how old is my, my oldest, our oldest child. He's 30 years old. So that's like a 30 year old story. I'd, I'd say a 30 year long story. So I'm, uh, I guess the short answer to that, see if I can do it super short is once um, I was up in the Pacific Northwest um, at a place called the Macaw Nation, a Native American reservation uh, where the Macaw Nation is based, Native American tribe and uh, nation. And they were hunting a whale. And they were going to hunt a whale after the whale came off the endangered species list. And um, I happened to be there for a billion different reasons. And I spent a couple years there and have since been in touch with the, the people in the tribe that I know since I guess that was 2000 and 2000 around there, 1999. And anyway, um, so, uh, this, the tribe, uh, at that time had, and still has really high, uh, unemployment. It was around 75% if you could trust that data back in 2000 and, uh, an incredible poverty. Um, but also an incredible community, uh, like, most communities where people are trying to help each other out and live lives and take care of rats. As I think you're absolutely right to say that Eric Adams is touching to something really real. And there's an amazing history of politicians using rats to, to prove themselves, you know, whether they're, they mean it or not is another question. Um, but also if you look at like SNCC coming into New York, um, in the sixties, they're talking about programs for, for clean water, for good housing and for rat control. And, you know, I meant to look this morning and I forgot, but I think the Kerner commission mentions rat control and it makes perfect sense because where do you live? How are your kids tonight? Are they going to be bitten? What were the, the ultimate bake basic, you know, necessities of life. But on the reservation, um, when I went out to see how this was going to go, How's the tribe going to hunt a whale again after a generation of not hunting whales when this was at the, the very center of, of their, their being, their economic, political, theological core was hunting whales. And they had stopped hunting whales, by the way, when the United States uh, had, had basically commercially whaled uh, gray whales into oblivion. So now they're going to hunt a whale. And everybody came to this reservation. This reservation is like seven or eight hours from uh, from Seattle. Um, and you know, depending on how nervous you are about windy roads off to the very Northwest tip of the United States of America. And anyway, um, all these protesters showed up to tell them not to hunt a whale. 
And there were people in the tribe who weren't sure they wanted to hunt a whale or didn't want to hunt a whale, and there were people who did. And it was obviously a really complicated thing that I should never have brought up in this context to try to explain briefly why I got to rats. But basically, um, all the protesters who came, many of them were with animal rights groups. And, and one, of the, one, of the, one day I was sitting there uh, on the water, and people were debating this furiously. And one of the animal rights groups said, you know, I've got to leave, I've got to go back to Seattle. We have an exterminator coming to our office. And I said, oh, are you going to catch and release or something? He said, no, these aren't mice. These are rats. We're going we're gonna to exterminate them. And I thought, well, this is it. This is the line in the sand. This is the creature that, you know, that we don't think is part of the natural world. And that's right there. We personally don't, humans don't think that we're part of the natural world, even though we like to say we are on our coffee cups and Sierra Club calendars, and I like both coffee cups and Sierra Club calendars, even though I've just said that. So, so this is really the thing. Like, you, we take ourselves out of the world when we throw poison at the world. It's not to say that we can't. There isn't a reason why you want might want to put poison, um, you know, at, at the at the at the Walt Whitman houses when 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 there's garbage there because people are moving out because they're pretty sure that the city's going to sell off part of their the the public housing to make you know, more condos that are private, you know, market, not public housing. So, so all of these things are acting together, but basically rats are this perfect line in the sand where we get to say, nope, 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 nope. I don't care. I don't care. Um, and, and I should also say that I don't have a pet rat or anything like that. I'm freaked out by rats. I truly am. So I've ranted. You guys should really stop me. I'm, I know there's, there can be editing. I pray to God there's editing. So is we do we do very little editing and we like ranting. I'm afraid to tell you. Did that get anywhere near answering your question? I'm sorry. Yeah, it did. It, I just you know I I think that so many people laughed when Eric Adams kept bringing up yeah. rats on the campaign trail, and I think it showed a, a real class divide in the sense that so there are a lot of New Yorkers who don't really think about rats unless they're walking late at night and past a restaurant, you know, in an alley or something like right, that. Right. Uh, but there are a lot of communities that are really struggling with rats, not just uh, around their apartments, but some people in their apartments. And I, I thought Eric Adams was acknowledging that uh, and acknowledging no, the a certain the class conversation that tends not to happen during election season. To be more specific in responding or in, to attempt to be more specific in responding, there's a, a kind of glorious history of winning politicians winning through rats, uh, rat programs in the city. Everybody uh, has, has kind of run, so many people have run rat programs. And really a kind of fascinating thing is how, it, you know, if you want to go back and look in kind of like historiography of rats and mayors, you know, how the different mayoral styles match up to the rat programs. Giuliani was just like, we're going to get them. And, you know, Bloomberg was like, let's count the rats, but you can't count the rats. So we'll count the rat bites. Well, like, no, data isn't going to do this. But, but yeah, Adams, the rats get headlines. That's also what a politician who's smart about politics knows. Now, I think I vaguely remember his particular, Eric Adams' particular method of exterminating rats. And I, all I can say is, Here's the best way. It's the, it's the big secret. Don't tell anybody, but I'm joking, so tell everyone. Um, what you do, the way you stop rats is you don't feed them, and that's what you do. And you don't feed them, and then they don't, you don't have rats. So garbage is really the issue here. Sanitation, fixing sanitation, you know, it, it, which is a huge issue. That's why I feel so bad saying it. So anyway. So just to go back for one second to uh, the 60s. Um, Lyndon Johnson had a rat extermination act 
Um, mm -hmm. This was the House rejected it um, as part of this growing conservative backlash to the Great Society in 1967. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, yep. and then he put out a statement saying, "We're not talking about much money here, and we're spending it. Uh, we're spending federal funds to protect livestock uh, from rodents. Yep. The least we can do is give our children the same protection." So, so there you go. And, you know, the, the Democrat, the Southern Democrats and Republicans had no problem, uh, you know, talking about northern city residents, but city residents generally as rodents. And that goes back to a deep history, which I'm sure you guys know about about slave ships and 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 pests and what is pestilence and, and things like this. But it also goes back to immigrant classes and to um, any kind of new, you know, group that comes into a city. And so this is my, this is the explanation. I'd never tell anybody this. So, because it's too long a conversation, but so I think the title of the rats book is something like a history. It's rats. And then a history of the city's most unwanted inhabitants. Well, I'm not talking about the rats. I'm talking about the people that the people who run or have power in the city considered to be unwanted. And that's one of the really excruciating things about New York City is as it continues to, to kind of like gain capital and momentum and sort of, you know, making wealthy people wealthier is how it, how it just is creating more, to use it metaphorically, rats. I've already established that I like rats, but not in the sense that I want to have them with me all the time. But the, but the idea that, um, that we, we can't do it. We can, we can, we, we, we just can't do it. We can't see that we're destroying that we're, we're, that we're basically dropping poison all over the city, metaphorical poison, all of the city. As we build out, we build safe one part, we build, we build taller and taller buildings that are more and more sophisticatedly rat proof, but we're just creating more problems around it. I'm, I'm slipping in and out of metaphor. I apologize. That's fine. This is Katie. I, I think it's to think of rats in the larger sense. I also think there's something uh, also not to overuse metaphors, but looking at we have this beautiful owl, Barry, two year old owl spent about nine months in Central Park, captured the hearts of mainly Manhattan birders. You know, so you can you the, the birders going to Central Park are from what I've seen, mostly Manhattan based birders. It's not like the Jamaica Bay wildlife where it's maybe a larger mix. So yeah. really became a huge hit for wealthier parts of the city. And then to know that not only did, I guess, Barry, the blunt force trauma killed the poor owl, but it was the rat poisoning that likely impaired her. But it just seemed very <laughs> symbolic of here's a yeah. beautiful thing. We're embracing more wildlife. The city, in some ways, uh, our natural environment, particularly the waterways are getting cleaner. We're seeing whales and dolphins and sharks in ways we never have. We're seeing more migratory birds but there's still these issues prevalent, which could be a metaphor for the city, right? As there's more wealth, as there's uh, improvements made yeah. in some places, there's still plenty of places of the city that are not reaping the benefits of it. So I did find it very yeah. sad to know that that is, uh, that is really what did poor Barry the barred owl in. Yeah. I mean, we, we fetishize particular creatures and, you know, there's that term megafauna. So people are, you know, excited to go drive to Yellowstone to see, is it Yellowstone where you see the bison? I think so. Yes. Um, you know, we really want to see that. Um, but we don't, you know, we're not really as interested in the smaller creatures that are this, you know, oh my gosh, the ultimate me metaphor is the web of life that are part of the web of life there. I just broke the metaphor meter, <laughs> but yeah, that, no, that's, that's absolutely right. We're fetishizing it. it prob no, no offense to Barry, obviously. 
um, but we're fetishizing particular species. And that's also the way the United States works in particular. I mean, this week with this horrible news story uh, about a, a missing woman, um, you know, who's a camper. But, you know, again, thinking, thinking of, uh, you know, thinking of Native American communities where people are missing uh, you know, women are missing and murdered and the, nobody's even investigating hundreds and hundreds of women, but we stop everything for particular people, understandably, because we should care about them, but we should also care about everybody. And I, I'm just saying like, this is the me- mechanics of the United States of America. We it's, it's all about, as everybody knows, the, these, 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 you know, celebritizing everything to the, to the detriment of, of really everything, of actually everything. That's fantastic. Everything. Yeah. It, it, it kind of is a much larger symbolism for a lot of things that are uniquely and depressingly American. Yes. I mean, I'm, but let's try to, let's go bright here. Let me try to go bright. <laughs> let's, end say, let's end on a good note. I'll just say that it is absolutely true that all of these creatures have come back. Um, and I, I won't even say come back because as I think you may know from a previous program, that's the episode NYC's water miracle with the, uh, brilliant Ibrahim Abdul Mateen that you can find at FAQ.NYC. The Hudson Raritan estuary contains all of the fish stock that were there representatives not in numbers but but most of the same creatures in the river uh were that were there when henry hudson sailed up to take over what he thought was his uh mistakenly when he when he that those those creatures are mostly still there and what changed the game and and in a weird way you know by considering some places to be disgusting and swampy and and by never figuring out a way to completely develop all of the Jamaica Bay Wildlife Refuge or all of the Meadowlands uh, or all in New Jersey or all of the salt marsh up in the Bronx, uh, Pelham Bay Park, by never figuring that out, by just dumping there, but not completely destroying it, by doing all that, those salt marshes remain. So in a weird way, our, our nastiness about these places actually saved them to some extent. There was some kind of like, happiness of timing because you know in my own personal experience of the harbor you know like being down at the seaport in the 60s where my father you know had a print shop or worked with worked as a printer um that the clean water act the, the water is disgusting as i remembered as a little kid but the clean water act gets going in the 70s and that changes the game and the the and new york harbor i did a little piece um for the New Yorker a couple months ago about um, uh, the water off the statue. I mentioned the water off the Statue of Liberty. Uh, and, you know, that is swimmable on many, many days. The harbor is clean. It's tidal. Things move in and out. We can take advantage of this and not just continue to sort of fetishize it and build four beautiful parks while we develop everything else, we continue to develop everything else. So we can't pretend to understand this, but continue to develop in wetlands and continue to like take away stuff uh, or finance a new park by building on a coast that's just going to get washed away. We, we, we can use, we can do better than just fetishizing particular aspects of this quote-unquote return.
temperature, I think, quote unquote, because it didn't go away. But we, we can just do more than fetishize it. We can say that it's that it's here, that it's always, that it's always been here and that we can now be more active participants in being part of the nature that is the reason we're here, because this is the giant estuary, the giant estuary, and, and it's, it's why we're here to begin with. So Robert Sullivan, author of Rats, Observations on the History and Habitat, the City's Most Unwanted Inhabitants. Thank you so much for joining us. I know that you also wrote a book about the uh, Meadowlands, and, and in the course of this conversation, I was just thinking a lot about the, the waterfront in New York um, because the waterfront was uh, was for shit. And large parts of it, you know, got abandoned after the 1940s. We weren't really an industrial city anymore. You had uh, project housing go up there. The look lots like the modern housing that went up at the time. So you had to have different color brick to make it clear, you know, what was poor housing, what was rich housing. And now that's all a yeah. beautiful ribbon of park. It's really expensive housing. And uh, yeah. it's what might end up getting getting washed away. It's been it's been a stunning reclamation, um, and and it's not clear how how resilient that's that's going to be. Um, yeah, I don't know how to bring that around to a yeah. question, but I did want to say thank you. I, I hope you'll come back on, and maybe we'll talk more about the uh, waterfront, the Meadowlands, rats, and everything else. Then this has been a really enjoyable conversation. I'm glad that you were uh, comfortable enough to rant a bit with us and go off in those different well, my- directions. My favorite parts was were with, was when you guys were talking, but you 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 overly encouraged me, and I I I blame you for that. But I'm so happy that someone will listen to my rant. So th- thank you so much. And um, I, I, all I'll say is about the waterfront is that um, don't forget that the little well, the waterfront was a lot of big abandoned spaces, um, and we didn't used to allow big box stores in New York City. And the unions fought hard to keep them out because they would hurt small businesses. Um, but Mayor Giuliani allowed box, big box stores into New York City. We changed things. It was really easy not to, and it's really easy to change things back. And, and that would change the whole dynamic of the waterfront. It, it did change it. So what's the next big thing that we're going to do that will, that will change or not change the waterfront? And rats are forever associated with the waterfront. People will always say rats are there because of construction or because it's by the water. Those are not necessarily true, I'm sorry to tell you. But there will never be divorce from the history of the waterfront. Joseph Mitchell can tell you that, but anybody can tell you that. And so and I've talked way too much now. Thank you so much. I'll see you guys later. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Bob. Okay. Take we're, we're done recording, but I, I must ask, uh, h- how much of this is new to your wife? Because you guys are driving in a car right now across the country. And, and how much of this is is, is like uh, uh, very very familiar to her? Um, my wife stepped out of the car. She's just now returning. I'm giving her the single signal. We pulled over in a parking lot um, just outside of Little Rock, Arkansas. Wow. Um, we and she um, she um, yeah. My, what can I tell you? My wife's amazing. What, would you live with somebody who wrote a book about rats? <laughs> I mean, it sounds really interesting stuff. I mean. It just sounds really cool to me. And I think it's, it's, I think about a lot about with garbage, right? Like the Meryl Euclid's Mm -hmm. art exhibit and what she did in the seventies where she was making art, you know, it was post garbage strike. Everyone hated sanitation workers. Everyone thought they were dirty. It's like, yeah. well, they're picking up your trash. 
and her yeah. mirrored garbage yeah. truck, right? You know, I'm not an art critic, but yeah. this is this amazing yeah. thing where, yeah, you have to see yourself in that. So when you see a dead bird, it ate rat poison and that's you because you, you know, the trash you accumulate as a New Yorker and all these piles of trash, they're eating your trash. A lot to, a lot to discuss, but thank you. I mean, yeah, I'm this sorry. Is, no, I, I'm everything you say is fascinating. So that's sometimes, you know, not everyone is interesting as you. So it's, that's not, that's not true. And, and <laughs> I'll, 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 I'm just, we've been, you know, in a car for several days. So I'll, I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> thank you, Bob. Thanks, Thanks Bob. Again. Take it easy. Thank you. Easy drive. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye, Harry. Bye. FAQ. FAQ NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists and Artists. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and recorded this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. A special thank you to our guest this week, Robert Sullivan, journalist and author of the book, Rats. Our executive producers, Alex Brooklyn and Adam Kamara, mixed and edited this episode. Be well, wear a mask, get your shot, and we'll see you next week. Andrew Flusha 